So for our New Testament scripture reading this morning, we will be reading Matthew chapter 25 in its entirety. So I encourage you to follow along as we read Matthew chapter 25. The word of the Lord says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Our message this day is entitled, Faithful Over a Little. Faithful Over a Little. I want to read three verses from the Bible, three different places in the Bible. Just listen to these. For you will render to a man according to his work. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him. And according to his ways, he will make it befall him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. These are just three Bible verses which teach that we will indeed be called to account for our actions. Believers will be called to account for how they have lived their lives. This truth, referred to as the doctrine of rewards or the judgment seat of Christ, has been sometimes ignored and sometimes seriously misrepresented. For example, in commenting on one of the above-mentioned passages, which was Psalm 62, 12, John Calvin said, From this and passages of a similar kind, the Papists, or the Roman Catholics, have argued in defense of their doctrine that justification and salvation depend upon good works. The Papists argued for salvation by grace plus works, But we know the Bible teaches salvation by grace alone. The works do come, but they follow after 
grace. They are the fruit of the tree of salvation. They are the evidence of the work of the Spirit. They are the outflowing of the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But there's another aspect to works in the life of a believer. Works are related to rewards in the new heavens and new earth. There will be a reward given in the eternal state based on our works. Now, even these works have been empowered and carried out by the grace of God. Everything we do as Christians flows from grace, and we only love God because he first loved us. Nevertheless, it is undeniable to any student of the scriptures that believers will be rewarded based on their faithfulness on earth. Commenting on Matthew 19:30, wherein Jesus says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. James Montgomery Boyce once noted that those who have the most here will not necessarily have the most in heaven. The doctrine of rewards is one we would do well to consider as believers. And I think that in considering this doctrine, even very briefly today, we will find that it is an encouraging doctrine. It's an encouraging doctrine. It is not a doctrine that should make us afraid. If that is the case, if that's our response, if the doctrine causes us to be afraid, then we have not understood it correctly, and we have not understood our master correctly, just like the third servant did not understand his master and therefore was afraid to use the talent that God gave him. The verse that I want to set before our eyes this morning is Matthew 25:23, where we read, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now this verse, of course, as we read, comes in the context of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And the parable is about a master who goes away for a long time and he leaves his servants with talents while he's away. Now, a talent is not what we might think of as when we how we use the word today. It's not that I'm talented in this or I'm talented in that or that I have a talent for music or art or whatever. In, in this passage, a talent refers to a unit of weight or a monetary uh, unit. So some footnotes put the value of one talent at about 20 years wages for a laborer. So the master gives one servant five talents, one servant two talents, and one servant one talent. Then he goes away, and after a long time, this master comes back, and he's coming back to see how have my servants been stewards of what I have given them? How have they handled the thing that I gave them to watch over and cultivate. He returns and he rewards the first two servants for being faithful in what was entrusted to them. The third servant, however, did nothing. He was not faithful over the little that had been entrusted to him. And so, as we read, the talent is taken away from him and given to the servant who was initially given five talents. Now, 
there is so much that we can say about this parable, but I want to have a, a narrow focus this morning on the phrase, you have been faithful over a little. This, I believe, is the key for us to understand the doctrine of rewards for believers. And it is a phrase, a truth that can free us to serve God with great joy and gratitude, no matter our station in life. We are to be faithful over a little. Now, one of our problems as humans is that we are prone to compare ourselves to others. We're very prone to do this, even from a young age. And the disciples even did this. They argued with one another about who was the greatest. And this is not wise. The Apostle Paul said, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. The fundamental problem with comparing ourselves to others and judging ourselves by what others do or don't do is that God is not going to compare us with others. God is not going to look at your life, your works, your accomplishments, and then hold them up against other people's lives, other people's works, other people's accomplishments. You see, if you're not a Christian, if you're outside of Christ, you need to understand that God is going to hold you accountable for hit to his law, and the wages of your sin will be eternity in hell. God is not judging you based on how you relate to other people as far as comparison, but how you have responded to God and his law. If you have repented, however, if you are a believer, God's grace has therefore granted you salvation, and your sins have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and nothing will change that. But here we are talking about rewards for believers. And in granting these rewards, the question is not, what did you do in comparison to others? But what did you do with what God gave you? God is not going to evaluate how faithful you were with your neighbor's talents. God is going to evaluate how faithful you were with what he gave you to manage. That is what matters. And so I want you to be encouraged this morning to be faithful in the little things. The commendation that we should desire from God is simply that we were faithful over a little. God isn't asking us to do what others are doing. He's asking us to be faithful in what he has given us. Now, we are often tempted to wish that God had given us more to be faithful over. Maybe someone longs for a more influential ministry, a more meaningful job, a more exciting career, a more consequential or purposeful life, something else, something different, something better, something more. Now, we may even in our minds think that we want these things for ostensibly good reasons so that we could do more for Christ, be a better witness, a better Christian, make a bigger impact, reach more people, and if God does open the door for certain things, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But the point here is this. It is enough to be faithful over what God has given you. It is enough to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. You've been faithful over a little. That is enough. 
Now, the phrase, as we consider now these little things that we are to be faithful over, God requires us to be faithful in the little things. There's a phrase that is used. It's, it's the devil is in the details. The devil is in the details. Now, that phrase was preceded, I believe, in history by the phrase God is in the details. And God is, in fact, in the details. The little things matter. The little things matter in life. There may not be a lot of praise here on earth for the small things, the little things, being faithful in those little things, but there will be praise from the master. The small things do make the difference. And it was being faithful in the little things that Jesus consistently commended to his followers. Truly, I say to you, Jesus said, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Faithfully giving that glass of water or that offering or that hospitality or that listening ear to a follower of Christ. Faithfully guarding your words because the little things matter, including careless words. Being faithful in your simple allegiance to Christ and his words not being ashamed of them, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. It's the little things that Jesus called his disciples to be faithful in. The little things. And it's the little things in our lives that Jesus is interested in. A mother who changes another diaper with a servant's heart, showing kindness when she is tired and no one is there to see it. A child who helps his brother or sister clean up even when no one knows it. A father who conducts family worship night in and night out instead of doing other things. A wife who chooses to respect and encourage her husband, even if he is distracted and does not return her affection as he ought. A young man who is faithful with his use of his phone or computer. A husband who guards his thoughts and eyes to honor his wife. An employee who works for his boss is for the Lord. A boss who treats his employees justly and fairly. There are a million little things that no one on earth will ever see that we can be faithful in. The way husbands listen to their wives. The way wives encourage their husbands. The way children honor their parents. The way parents love their children and show them they care. The way a young man guards his speech. The way a young woman guards her heart. These are the things that though they may not bring us great praise or recognition from others, these are the things that we are to be faithful in. And it's the faithful people that are the ones who make the difference in the world. These are the people you want to have in your life. They're faithful in the small things, and you can count on them to be faithful in other things as well. Look for faithful people in your life. In looking for a pastor, look for someone who is faithful in the small things. If he will not be faithful in the small things and the little things in his life, how can you expect him to be faithful in overseeing the flock of God? In looking for a spouse, look for someone who is faithful in the small things. If a man is not faithful with his thoughts, with his time, with his obligations before he's married, what makes you think he will be after and looking for employees, or even looking for a boss. Look for someone who is faithful in the small things. In looking for civil rulers, 
Look for someone who is faithful in the small things, faithful in little. Isn't it interesting in this parable that we read of the talents that the person who had received one talent was the lazy one? In some ways, he had less to manage, less to be a steward over. In one sense, we could say he had less work to do, but he was the one who was lazy. And why did this servant respond this way? Why did the third servant bury his talent? Well, the text tells us that it was because of his view of his master. And furthermore, it tells us that it was how he viewed his master in relation to what the master had given him as the servant. The servant considered the master to be a stingy and hard man. It says in the text that he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Now, this is not a true representation of the master. The master was generous, as we'll see, in giving these talents to his servants. But the third servant viewed the master as a stingy and hard man. And I believe that we are prone to think the same way when we compare what God has given us with what God has given to others. When we think that God is unjust or unfair to give us so little in comparison to others and then think him a hard and stingy master when he expects us to serve him with joy, when he expects us to serve him with joy and gratitude, when he hasn't given us what he has given others, we are acting like that third servant. We're acting like that third servant who was viewed the Lord as uh, his master as stingy and hard and therefore buried his talent. We're tempted to be unfaithful in the small things because we don't have big things to be faithful in. The pastor with a small church of five families may look at the pastor who has a church with 500, 1,000 members and be tempted to bury his talent because God did not give him a big enough ministry that's worth really being faithful in. The man who's you know waiting until he really has... Uh, an opportunity to discipline himself and take things seriously, waiting for God to give him a spouse or a family or a better job or a better ministry. Then I'll be faithful, he says. Then I'll take things seriously. That's like that unfaithful servant who didn't labor faithfully because he thought God wasn't gracious. He thought God wasn't fair. He thought that God was stingy and hard. He viewed his master incorrectly and therefore he did not respond correctly to what God had given to him. But the question we should ask ourselves is not, why didn't God give me more to be faithful over? We shouldn't say, why didn't God give me two talents if he only gave me one? Or the man who received two talents, he didn't say, why didn't God give me five talents? The question isn't, why didn't God give me more to be faithful over? But why did God give me anything to be faithful over? The master, it says in the parable, gave to each according to his ability. God knows exactly what his servants can handle. He knows exactly what you can handle, and he will give according to your ability. Remember we said earlier that a talent could represent 200 years, 200, 20 years wages, sorry, 20 years wages. A talent could represent 20 years uh, wages of a laborer. 
So let's put that in our context today. Let's say a laborer makes $40,000 a year. Five talents then would be $4 million in today's money. And one talent would be $800,000. Now, I don't think that's a small amount. The question isn't, why didn't God give me $4 million to be a steward over? But why did God even give me 800000 to be a steward over? You see, the servant in the parable did not receive the talent that God gave him with gratitude and thankfulness and joy and sought to use it for God's glory. He viewed his master as stingy and hard and therefore buried the talent and did nothing. He wasn't faithful in it. Also, I would point out that I want you to consider that what this master considers little is quite a sum. The master here, in coming back to his servants and saying, you've been faithful over a little, is saying that you've been faithful over five talents, which is not, in our perspective, a small amount. Four million dollars is considered little to this master. The things that we consider little in this life are also things of great value. Our job, our chores, our schoolwork, our spouses, our children. And if these things are little, can you imagine the riches of the rewards in heaven? If the little thing was the five talents, what was the much that the first servant would be set over? If the two talents were little, what was the much that the second servant would be set over? You see, it is the little things in your life that truly do make the biggest difference. Maybe you don't read as many books as Calvin did. Maybe you don't pray as much as Mueller did. Maybe you don't reach as many people as Whitfield did. But you are faithful in little. You're reading maybe a page a day, maybe a paragraph, but you're faithful. Your prayer, maybe a few minutes, but you're faithful. Your influence may not seem like it reaches much further than your kitchen table, but you're faithful. You live out your faith. You don't disregard what God has given you in favor of longing for what he has given someone else or what you think he should give to you. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, even if, actually especially if, God is the only one who sees it. Show me a faithful mother, a faithful father, a faithful wife, a faithful husband, a faithful child, a faithful friend, a faithful pastor, a faithful employee, a faithful magistrate, and I will show you someone who in the little things is changing the world. There are great blessings in being faithful in the small things, but there is also great danger in being unfaithful in the small things. When we think about our lives and what God has given us wrongly, we think of missed opportunities as those opportunities that were lost wherein we could have done something great or been something great. But the worst missed opportunities, the worst thing to miss in life is being faithful in the small things. If we say, I'll be faithful once God gives me more to be faithful over, we are not wise. If we say, my life is dull, Until things change, there isn't much motivation for me to serve God with vigor and diligence. We are not heeding Christ's words. Listen, if that time comes 
when God does in his grace give you more to be faithful over, it will be too late for you then to start being faithful. It'll be too late. If you're not faithful in the small things now, you will not be faithful if God gives you more. In Luke 16, the Lord Jesus said this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest or unfaithful in a very little is also dishonest in much. If we are not faithful in the small things, we will certainly not be faithful in the big things. That's a self-deception um, that, that we have, that we tell ourselves, well, I'll be faithful when this happens or when that happens or when I really need to be, then I'll be faithful. That's a lie. Now, as we near conclusion here, <clears throat> I want to quote from one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, and I have a lot of favorite Spurgeon sermons, but one of them uh, that I, I really like is entitled Little Sins. And in the sermon, Spurgeon gives several answers to the uh, temptation to give into little sins, saying, well, this is just a small sin. It's not a big sin. It's not an egregious sin. So it's not that big of a deal. And Spurgeon deals with that temptation and corrects it. And we sometimes do think that the big sins are, are, are more serious, right? That it's, it's, it's worse to sin against God in a, in a flagrant way than in a small way. And there's a sense outwardly that we could agree with that. But in Spurgeon's sermon, he makes the point that in some ways, in some ways, it's even worse to sin in a little way. And I want to read a quote from him in this, in this sermon and then relate it to what we're talking about with being faithful. Because uh, we can think in a related way that being faithful in the big things is more important than being faithful in the little things. We can say, well... God, you know, God calls us to be faithful in, in these big things and, and what we're going to do and, and, and reach the world and, and have a big ministry and, and be faithful in these things that people are going to see us in and, and, and be recognized for what we're doing. And that the, being faithful in the little things isn't as important as being faithful in those big things. But Spurgeon points out this principle that in some ways it's worse to commit a little sin. I want to apply that to what we're talking about. So listen uh, as I read just a part of this sermon from Spurgeon. I don't know whether the things Christian men call little sins are not, after all, greater than what they call great sins in some respects. If you have a friend and he does you a displeasure for the sake of 10,000 pounds, so a lot of money, you say, well, he had a very great temptation. It is true he has committed a great fault, but still, he has wronged me to some purpose. But suppose your friend should vex and grieve your mind for the sake of a farthing or a penny. What would you think of that? This is wanton, you would say. This man has done it out of sheer malevolence toward me. Now, if Adam had been denied by his maker the whole of paradise... So if God had said to Adam, you cannot have any of this garden and put him into a stony desert. I do not think had he taken all paradise to himself, there would have been more sin in that act than when placed in the midst of the garden. He simply stole one fruit from the forbidden tree. The transgression involved a great principle because he did it wantonly. He had so little to gain. He had so much to lose when he dishonored God. It has been said 
That to sin without temptation is to sin like the devil. To sin without temptation is to sin like the devil. For the devil was not tempted when he sinned. And to sin with but little temptation is to sin like the devil. When there is great temptation offered, I do not say there is any excuse. But when there is none, where the deed is but little, bringing but little pleasure, and involving but a small consequence, there is a wantonness about the sin which makes it greater in moral obliquity than many other iniquities that men commit. I, you cry out against a great felon when he is discovered. See how much he robbed men. See how he wronged the widow and robbed the fatherless. I know it. God forbid that I should make any excuse for him. But that man had a name to maintain. He had thousands of temptations before him to get immensely rich. He thought he never should be discovered. He had a family to keep. He had got involved in expensive habits. And there are many things to be said for his extenuation. But you, if you indulge in some slight sin, which brings you no pleasure, which involves no important interests, by which you have nothing to get, I say you sin wantonly. You have committed an act which has in it the very virus and bitterness of willful obstinate, designing disobedience, because there is not even the extenuation or excuse or apology that you should gain something thereby. Little sins are, after all, tremendous sins viewed in the light of God's law. Looked upon as involving a breach of that invaluable standard of right and considered as having been committed wantonly, I say they are great, and I know not that those sins men conceive to be gross and great are greater and grosser in reality than these, these small sins. So Spurgeon is saying that the little things in life are just as serious as the big things. And there's a great principle there to be applied to being faithful in the small things. Being unfaithful in any area of our lives is wrong. But for us to neglect our duties in the small things, in some ways, is worse than being unfaithful in the big things. For what could cause us to be unfaithful in the small things, but an ungrateful, prideful, and lofty desire for more, a sinful indictment that we cast against God's generosity, saying, I'm not going to be faithful in this small thing. It's not asking me too much, but I'm not going to be faithful in it because there's not much of a reward, we think. God hasn't given me more. My exhortation to you and to myself is to seek to be faithful right now in what God has given you. It will not be wasted faithfulness. You may never see the fruit in this life. In fact, I guarantee you won't see the full fruit of your labor here on earth. But you can have that sweet assurance that you will hear those most beautiful words at the end of your days. Well done, good and faithful servant. If our friendships, our jobs, our spouses, our children, our brothers and sisters in Christ are the small things, if those are the little things, I cannot imagine what the much, what the more will be in glory. We truly are a people spoiled with blessings from on high. Let us be faithful in these little things. The devil knows the details matter, and he will tempt Christ's followers to occupy themselves 
with things too great for them instead of being faithful in the small things. The enemy would be happy to have a man with an outwardly powerful ministry reaching many people and yet for that man to be unfaithful in the little things, his personal life, his relationship with his wife, with his kids. The enemy would be happy for a woman to have an exciting career outside the home and and being successful and prosperous and yet unfaithful in the small things, what the world considers small, what we often consider small, raising her children, keeping the home, encouraging her husband. You see, these small things are really the important things. And this fits with what Jesus teaches in the gospel. The priorities of the kingdom are different than the world's priorities. What did Jesus say? The last will be first and the first will be last. And I believe when we get to glory, we'll see that the little things will be the big things and the big things will be the little things. To conclude, I want to encourage you to be faithful in the small things by looking at the perfect example of that. God is faithful in the little things. Yes, God is making all things new. He's saving the world. And God is faithful in his grand sweeping promises to redeem the nations. God's faithful in those things. Those are the big, huge, cosmic purposes that God has promises that God has made. And God is faithful in those things. But you know what? God is also faithful in the small things. In comforting the brokenhearted. In helping a struggling saint in temptation. In encouraging you with his word. God is faithful in those little things. Even though he has grand plans for the world that are far greater than any one of us as individuals. He is faithful to each one of his children. And he he never neglects them. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So let us be imitators of God and be faithful in the little things in life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful in all things, even the things that, comparatively speaking, would be little. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful in the little things that you have given us, that we may hear from you that great commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. You will now be set over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We give you thanks and praise for the grace of the gospel. For without your grace to us, Lord, we could not lift one finger or do anything that would bring you honor and praise or that would bring us rewards in heaven. It is all by your grace. And we give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.